Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. So this sermon series was planned uh, really at the near the end of last year, um, and and then just worked on it and and uh, trying to figure out. First, I thought it was going to be a four-part series, and then I was like, it's 18 parts, and then it ended up being seven. Uh, but as we did all that, this Sunday, as we look at 1 Timothy 5, and you can feel free to turn there, we're going to read the whole thing in just a moment together uh, all at once. Um, so, uh, you know, turn in your, in your Bibles or, or open up your apps. Uh, but this, title, this, uh, this message today is how to live to give. And it's, it's so cool that on a day that we're praying over our teachers as they kick off the school year, we're talking about what it means to live, to give. And really what Paul's talking about, even though he gives some specifics there, and some of it's like, huh, and then some of it's like, okay, uh, he's really talking about the way we live in relationship with those around us, especially within a church community, but then outward bound from that. Um, and, and so I, you know, Sometimes it just happens that way, and you're like, wow, Holy Spirit, was, was, did it just happen that way, or was that, was that part of your, your, your greater plan in the, uh, in the leadership of our lives that we would talk about what it means to live to give on a day when we're blessing those who give uh, at a, at a, in an amazing way uh, with our teachers, and, and even on, after church, as we gather for the, the children's ministry luncheon, we appreciate those who are in the, our kids' ministry, and then we welcome anybody who wants to know more about the kids' ministry. We're having a, a luncheon right afterwards, and so uh, if you're a part of our kids' ministry in any way, or if you'd like to know more about it, man, join us for lunch, and uh, we'll feed you and have a, have a blast together. But talk about living to give. Uh, our kids' ministry is stellar, and, and those, those great ministers from the youngest to whoever the oldest is in there. Uh, just amazing hearts for kids. Uh, and again, preparing them uh, for a world out there that is crazy, but, uh, but, but a heart that is set in Jesus because we're teaching them to know Jesus. And, and if you know Jesus and you follow Jesus, you're good no matter what's happening in the, in the world around you. Um, so in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're looking at at this passage today, and, and depending on what version you might read, they, sometimes there's little head, headlines, uh, titles given to those passages. Really, Paul is explaining what a gospel life looks like inside a church community, because he's writing to a church and writing to a pastor named Timothy that he had discipled and that is probably one of the closest people uh, in his life, if not the closest person uh, he's ever had in his life. Uh, some of your headers might say conduct towards others or advice on relationships in the church and the way we live in relationship with one another, family life instruction because church is family. Uh, but the big idea is that it's not simply that we, we care for those in need, and he talks about that in here, or that we follow an instruction book detailing everything we do and everything, every time we take a step, we look at what we're supposed to do next. It's not about, about following, following it and not getting anything wrong, even though there are some religious uh, institutions out there that are like, don't you ever do anything wrong? It's like, well, I'm, I'm human. I think God's okay with my humanity, even though he's perfecting me along the way. It's that we're truly motivated by love in everything that we do. How much were you loved? How much are you loved? And does that motivate you for every aspect 
of relating to one another that comes across your life. That's what Paul's talking about. So in 1 Timothy 5, um, I've just titled it, if I got to title my own Bible, if there was a, a version that I got to title, I'd put, Live to Give, Motivated by Love. And I'm going to read um, the first 16 verses here and then, and then share a little bit and then read the, the, the latter part. It's a long one, so just uh, follow along or listen up. Paul writes this, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. He's saying they're reverently honor people. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness, godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now, a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in the world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. So he's getting very specific about life here at this time. She must be well-respected by everyone because of the good she has done. She has brought up her children well. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? So he's not only saying these are the things you need to learn about, but also he's teaching. These are the things you need to do. So that if that ever comes across your, your life and you become a widow or a widower or, or just as a good follower of Jesus, you do those things naturally. That that comes from your life of following Jesus. The younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry, then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they're on the list, they'll be, learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business and talking about things they shouldn't. I was like, oh, wow. I mean, you read that and you're like, what? But there was stuff going on. And basically, it was like, y'all take care of me, give me money. I'm going to go to the club, even though they probably didn't have clubs, right? So that, that's kind of how we would apply to this day. They weren't living right. They were just taking, uh, which is a whole different narrative. We could speak about our world right now uh, in, in just with what's going on of taking and doing nothing. But he was, he was dealing with a real specific issue there in that culture at the time. But he's also giving us principles of how to live. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own homes, then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. For I'm afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. Woo. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. So you could take these first 16 verses and go, we're going to develop a strict list of rules by which we live by and no one better mess up. Or you can look at it and go, okay, that's great advice in, in, 
in the way we develop practices in how we love people and, and care for people and, and do benevolence. And we can see that he's talking about generosity being shown and caring for the needs of people. Because that's the overall thing he's talking about. He had to get very specific here because of the church. But he's also giving our church some specifics about you just, you just got to love well. You got to be generous with your lives. And with your lives means a lot of different things. We always say time, talents, treasure. That kind of covers the general sense of, of how we are generous with our lives. So the first 16 verses, there's this generosity shown with some specifics in there that are like a little head-scratching at times. Verses 17 through 25 go on, and, and we read about behavior and lifestyle, about wisdom, about reputation, about pointing to Jesus and being uh, a walking billboard for a life in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at in, in just a moment. We look at, he, he writes about the conduct of leaders, and the conduct towards leaders. And that covers everybody. The way that leaders lead and live their lives and then the way that, that, that maybe followers or members of a church family uh, support and, and pray for and contend for leaders in the positions they're in. He's not being religious or exacting or critical. And he's telling us, don't, don't you don't be religious or exacting or critical. Know the heart of Jesus behind everything you do. Have that gracious compassion that Jesus had for you and I. So verse 17, he says, elders who do their work well should be res respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. At first I read that, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, I like that. But then the next line, he says, for the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox. I'm like, hey, man, what are you calling me? So I don't know. You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. In another place, Jesus said, those who work deserve their pay. So he's like, hey, if you serve the Lord, you get a, you get a benefit in, in certain areas of that. And, and our church is super gracious and giving in that area. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, when he's saying witnesses, he's talking about responsible people in the community that you can bank on their word, not just somebody that you got to stand up and say something. There's, a, there's witnesses and then there's real witnesses, and that's what he's talking about here. Those who sin, talking about leaders, should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. Now, with that sin, he's talking about an, a habitual or hidden sin issue that just keeps happening over and over. It's a, a, maybe a moral failure issue. It's not like, man, so-and-so got upset at me and was a little short or so-and-so, you know, told me they'd come at, you know, see me today and they didn't come for three days and then they weren't a person of their word. That's a different story uh, of, of a failure in life versus what he's referring to here. So he's saying, this will serve as a strong warning to others. When you deal with a habitual sin issue in a leader's life in the proper way, you're not, you're not skirting it, you're not, you're not hiding it under the carpet, you're also uh, not patting it on the back, you're also, and, and then you're not just kicking them to the curb and not having anything to do with them. That you, you walk it through as a church family would. And that's not always easy. But he's given principles here because they were, they were doing things that weren't God-honoring in so many ways 
And he's saying, this is how you bring a course correction, Timothy. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels. He's basically saying, they, they back me up on this. To obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. In other words, don't be an unwitting accomplice to somebody and just say, hey, he speaks well. Let's give him this role. We don't know who he is, but let's just like, let's just like launch him out there. They're saying, hey, take some time. You've you got to see some fruit before you let them lead the sheep. Let them show themselves as trustworthy and then let them do that if that's something the Lord leads you into. And then this is interesting, verse 23, if you're reading it, if you're looking at it right now, you're like, what? Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for, your, for the sake of your stomach because you're sick so often. So with all that he was saying, remember, Timothy is his number one disciple. Like, that's his guy. Very much like his own child and, and raised him up and so committed to him. And we'll touch on it in just a moment. But he went from a lot of principles to, hey, Timothy, this verse is for you, all of the him verses. And then, he, and then he goes back into it. But it looks a little odd. It's like, uh. But something came over Paul as he loves Timothy. And he knows this guy's got a, got a tough gig. I've, I've taken him off the mission planting team that we were on. And I, and I stuck him there because that's the, he's the best person for the job. And so I just love him. So he got very personal with him. And then he says, remember... The sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. They'll be found out quickly and obviously. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. That's a lot to take in. And so we're going to cover every word. No, just kidding. Um, really, our goal today is to always show love. Just always show love. It never fails. And without it, without love, everything, even some good that you might do, without love, everything is just noise. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. You can do all the most amazing things in the world, and if it's not done in and with love, it's just noise. The Bible tells us it's just like, just banging stuff if it's not done with love no matter how good it looks or sounds or or is in another setting you got to have love motivate you the way we live out our lives has to be fashioned by the bible and and from the heart of jesus and led by the holy spirit if we do that if we will do that if this will be our go-to and jesus is the example i'm trying to become like and i seek the holy spirit on leading my life then I will win, the, the, I will be victorious, I will be successful in all I do, even when I fail at times, because everything will be motivated by the heart of the love of God in my life. And that's why a church family is so good, because we have people alongside us going, hey, you did great there, but that's a little awkward. Or man, I love what you're doing over there, but gosh, you've been sharp to your spouse lately. That we just, we love one another onward towards Christ, in Christ, from the Holy Spirit for a lost world. That's the point of it all. Relationships in the church family are hugely important to God. That's why almost all the New Testament is written to churches 
and to believers. And Paul in this one is, is teaching Timothy how to lead a church back into the, in line with Christ so they're walking out the gospel and they don't look like the world around them. And he gets specific about how we behave towards each other, what we give to those who are our church family. And I have a slide I want you to, to look at here, this what, what are we to give list. When you read this passage, these are the words that, that pop out what Paul's saying. He gives all these specifics, widows and young and old and uh, men and women and leaders and, and, and sin issues and all this stuff. But at the heart of it all, it is respect. It's grace. It's encouragement and honor. That word honor in the Greek, that he writes it here, it, ha it has the attachment of finances. And really what it is, it's the honor that leads to benevolence, caring for the needs of people who don't have something. That's why I'm so proud to be a part of this church that, that gives benevolence at a rate I have never seen it before. And we have two amazing former elders who, who serve as benevolence pastors. And, and we don't know at the end of the week if they're going to give away more money than we've brought in or not. Because their hearts are so good and for people. They're honoring people by caring for their needs. But more than that, they wanted to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and they want to know their needs in life so they can contend for them and pray over them. And then there's care. We see all throughout there about how we care for people. We see protection of leadership and protection of a body. We see support. We see restoration and what, what you do sometimes that's ugly at times to bring restoration in a way that, that champions God and highlights the work of Jesus. And not everything is cut and dry, one size fits all. That's what gets so hard in, in, in some churches maybe you've come from. It's like, well, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And if you miss it, I guess it's all a failure or a lie. And it's like, well... The Holy Spirit leads us into every, everything the Holy Spirit leads us into will line up with this, but not everything is always cut and dry. The way you contend for this person or, or care for this need or, or challenge this person or just show massive grace for this person in, in, in the timing that it is. The principle here from Paul is that a Jesus church takes care of those in need appropriately and it showcases Jesus while doing it. I love what Paul says. We read it a few weeks ago as we started this in 1 Timothy 1, verse 16. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. That's the point. With all the, the, the structure and the words and the, and the teaching that he gives, that's the point of it all that my life would be lived in a way that people could be loved by Jesus through it. That's the point of it all. So, so that's why we live to give. And he has some specifics, and we'll quickly walk through a little specifics, and then we'll get to the heartbeat of the message today. But, but he talks about widows being cared for properly, and, and this touches God's heart deeply. In, in Psalm 68, I think it is, he says, I'm the defender of the widows. God says that about himself. So, so the way we, we love on those who, who have had that kind of loss in their life and they're past this maybe a normal point in life of, of earning an income or maybe their spouse earned the income, that we, we, we rally around those people and we care for them. And, and we will always do that in this church. 
He talks about leaders, and, and what he's telling us is basically, hey, leaders are always going to be the targets of the enemy because the enemy hates Jesus, thus the enemy hates humanity, thus the enemy hates men and women, the enemy hates the church, and so the enemy is going to go after leaders of a church, so be mindful of that, leaders and how you lead, and in church how you support and pray for and contend for them. Show grace, leaders, the same grace which with you were given, how much grace you were given, show that to, to others, and then, and then members of a church, show grace towards leaders. Protect your leaders, and at the same time that you're protecting your leaders, you're protecting your church family. It's your family. This is your family, so, so protect them. In a larger sense, as Christians worldwide, we need to protect and contend for our leaders, not shoot arrows at them when they mess up. He talks about leaders and he says those who sin, again, he's talking about those who are in a habitual sinning mode there, continue to sin. And he tells Timothy what to do and he, and he says, do, do this without taking sides or showing favoritism. In other words, don't get caught up in the loudest talk or in hate speech or what's popular in culture. Don't get caught up in, in syrupy words if somebody's really good at, at fashioning an argument. Don't, don't get caught up in living only by rules. Have the leading of the Holy Spirit and you won't show favoritism and you won't take sides. In fact, you will take sides, but it'll be God's side. I remember a few years ago when I was walking a couple through some issues in their life and, and one of the families, the extended families, were so upset because I wouldn't take a side. And I said, I'm on Jesus' side. And this person just wouldn't have it and kept coming. I'm like... So do you not want me to be on Jesus' side? And the person said, I want you to be on my child's side. I'm like, but Jesus is for marriage, and I'm for marriage, and this can be reconciled, and so I'm on Jesus' side. And the response was, that's not good enough for me. And it was so sad that Jesus' side wasn't good enough for a person who just had to win. Don't. Be a party to that. It will never go well with us. Listen. Have grace. Show grace. Be patient. Ooh, that's so hard. Lord, I could be patient if people weren't involved, right? <laughs> Have accountability. That's so key. Keep people speaking truth in love in your life. And pray, 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 pray. You can never pray enough. At the same time, God's not saying, if you don't pray this much, I'm not pleased with you. Just pray. Just pray and be motivated to pray some more. That water and the wine part that he wrote to Timothy, if you're wondering about that, this is a quick side, side, sidebar, but it actually speaks to a principle. Most likely, as Paul gets very personal here, Timothy had, had set himself up and, and had said, I don't drink wine, thus it makes my life more pure. He was a young leader still. We all have our issues. And Paul was saying, hey, not drinking wine doesn't give you purity. That is you setting up a moral standard that is not scripture. It, he probably had some stomach issues. And so Paul's like, drink a little wine maybe to help your stomach. We don't know. About, we really don't know anything except that Timothy had probably set up a standard based on, I want to set an example. The fact was they're a debaucherous society. They probably got drunk a lot. So he said, this is the way that you're pure. And Paul's like, that's not really the way you're pure. The way you're pure is the way you love, the way you lead, 
and the way you champion Jesus. So don't get stuck on your rules, Timothy. Drink a little wine if you need to. Or if you're going to drink water only, don't make a big deal about it. That's probably what he's saying there. We don't know for sure. We can all ask Paul later when we're all in heaven together. But the heartbeat behind it all, everything that Paul's saying here, even with all the specifics, live to give because of the love that's been given to you. That's the point of it all. Live to give because of the love given to you by who? Jesus. We, we base everything on the love given by Jesus because if it's based on what people give us, we will go like this or we'll just tap out or we'll say, I can love those and I can't love those. But if I love according to the, and, and, I, and I give my life away according to the love given to me by Jesus, I, I, I can't match it and it never runs out and it's only ever perfect. That's my motivating factor. The only thing that matters is love. Not the emotional feeling of love, but, but the acts of love that, and, and the way we care for people in the everyday moments of life. The way I have grace for that guy who might just, I feel like he's getting on my nerves, but I'm going to have more grace for him. Or that person who won't, won't stop acting that way. I'm just going to find out, like, what's going on and have compassion. Or... Or this person over here just struggle, 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 and I just want to go, go find help, but I'm going to be the help. I'm going to be the help. I'm motivated by love, and, and I'm going to be the help. And Jesus says, the world will know that you are believers in me by what? By the way we follow rules, right? No, by the love we show. The world will know that I belong to, follow Jesus, and champion him by the way I love people, not by how many times I've read through the Bible or how many Bible studies I go to or, or how often I go to church, which I have to, or, you know, whatever it is. That will not show people that I follow Jesus. My love will. And those things are great. But they're not the measuring stick by which Jesus uses. And someday... We're going to be called to account for our lives. As followers of Jesus, we get judged at a separate seat. Like there's a judgment of the, of the ones who don't follow Jesus. And there's one called the Bema seat, which you can study more. It's really cool. But it's a, it's a judgment for believers. It's basically, for lack of a better phrase, it's where he doles out blessings. We're going to be judged at that Bema seat. Not, again, not by what I've read or how many rules I followed or how I towed the line. I'll be judged by the way I live towards other people, the way I honored God, the way I showed Jesus in every setting in my life, home, work, community, missions. We'll be judged by the way we built up the body of Christ. Jesus talked about judgment as a matter of what we do with our lives. Did we visit those in prison? Did we, did we give to the poor? Did we care for people where they were in their emotional states? Uh, maybe, maybe they weren't physically in prison, but in, in their soul they're in prison. And we, we just, man, I'm going I'm to make a point to be a part of their lives. I'm going to have coffee uh, every two weeks for as long as it takes because this person's locked up. 
This person's poor in spirit or poor in relationships or, uh, or, or poor in, in their belief uh, in, in following Jesus or in their understanding of who they are in Christ. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to care for them there. And then there is the actual physical prison we visit and the, and the poor that we give to. What Jesus means here is, is that we learn to accept people where they are. We embrace them even with their flaws and we love them without needing to absolutely fix them. That's a hard one for me sometimes. It's like, I want to love them, but I do want them fixed. And there's nothing wrong with wanting, to be, wanting them to be healthier and whole in Christ. But sometimes I'm like, I'm only going to love them uh, until I see what's really real there. My, my, the flesh part of me takes over. Are you seeing results, Scott? Is this a waste of your time? That hits me hard when I, when I term it that way. Because if I, if I look at it in a way that says, are they a waste of my time? Are they coming through? Are they going to finally change? Did Jesus ever do that with me? Because there's a decades that it would have been wasted time if he used my measuring stick there. And yet, he stuck the course with me. Do we love people as long as we see results? Do we give of ourselves as long as our investments pay off? What if the ones we care for and, and give to don't respond to Jesus or to the, the ministry we try to give them? We often wonder, is it all worth it? Or, you know, maybe I'm such a failure. Or, uh, or you, you get upset because they just won't, you know, take what you're feeding them and they, they won't change. And you know it's best, but they won't go there. And you're like, what, what in the world is it all for? And we get frustrated. A lot of times we extend love to people because we want to see them changed, and that's good. But do we demand to see them changed? Jesus calls us to love, to give our lives without any requirements, not finding exceptions for that guy or the problem girl or that exhausting couple. Even if a person fails to respond to your love, kindness, the grace you show, the forgiveness you offer 490 times, we're called to keep on loving, live to give, do this, live this way, just live to give in spite of their response. And it, it helps you to love in a way that, that is freeing for you and really freeing for them. Hebrews 13, 16 says this, we will show mercy to the poor and not miss an opportunity to do acts of kindness for others. For these are the true sacrifices that delight God's heart. Care for those near you. Don't judge them. Anybody struggle with not judging people? Just me and Tom, we're the only ones. Called you out, Tom, but I called me out too, so we're good. It's hard. Turn it over to Jesus, pray for him. There's a there's a saying, we go back to the, New Te uh, the Old Testament, and he, a lot of you know the story of Cain and Abel, and of course he kills his brother, and God comes, he's like, where's your brother? And he's like, am I, brother, am I my brother's keeper? You know, knowing that he murdered him. Am I my brother's keeper? And I thought about this week, I'm like, we should be our brother's keeper. Not to control, 
but to care for and show compassion to and to be a comrade of. That's how I should be my brother's keeper. Be the greatest champion for your brother, not the one who judges him. Don't get mad at her for her weakness. Love her right there where she is. Don't only love that couple when you see them making strides. Love them no matter what because that's your family. Help him learn to stand. Help her grow strong. Be their unconditional ally. Like Hebrews says, these really are sacrifices at times and they delight God's heart when we do them. If Jesus could hang in there with me, I think I can hang in there with other people. If Jesus could hang in there with me when I despised everything about the gospel because it was so hokey, and he hung in there with me, and he didn't cast me off or send me away or just say, I'm done with Scott. He hung in there with me. I can hang in there with anybody. And I can't hang in there with anybody on my own power, by my own accord. I do it empowered by the Holy Spirit in a family of God around me. That's how we do it. I'm a Christian today because of people who loved me and lived out the the good news of Jesus towards me. I'm not a Christian because I studied the textbook and I took an exam and I nailed it. I'm a Christian because of people who became the word who became flesh for me. Jesus is the word who became flesh. There were people who became that guy in my life and that's what I responded to. I did not respond to read Genesis through Revelation and then tell me if it's true or not. I didn't respond to that. In fact, I had probably read it through 10 times and I could care less. The message of Jesus, his gospel, always sounds best to people when it's also seen and felt by people. It's all about relationship. It's got to be. If it's not about relationships, it's just mechanics. I remember years ago, I think it was early 90s, maybe 1991, I was at a concert. It was like a, a missions conference concert time out in Tyler, Texas and with YWAM and uh, Rich Mullins, uh, some of you may know who he is. He's passed on now, died in a tragic car wreck. But uh, he, was, he was there, and Rich always challenged everybody. He used everything for an opportunity to challenge you to be like Jesus to the, to the most in need. And, and I remember him coming out there, and he sang one song, and that was all. Was like, I was ready for like 12, and he sang one, and then he taught. And I remember him to this. I don't, I, I don't remember the song. I remember the teaching. And he said, are you warming the earth or chilling it out? Are you bringing warmth to the world around you or coldness to the world around you? Because you're going to do one or the other. The gifts that we can give people, respect, love, honor, care, compassion, benevolence, reconciliation, restoration, that warms up the world around us. Rules, finger pointing, judgment, getting tired of them, demanding them act a certain way, that brings coldness and chills. At the end of my life, at the end of your life, we're going to be judged by love and what we lived to give. Jesus says this about that same thing in in Luke chapter 14. 
he's, he's talking, he's teaching about, uh, about humility and, and, and there was a, like a feast. And so he looked at all the guests. And he's like, don't take the seat of honor. And then he gets into, he, he looks over at the host here in, in, in verses 12 through 14. And he's teaching him about God's reward because of the way we love people. And he says to the host, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, and your rich neighbors. Instead, for they'll invite you back, and that'll be your only reward. So he's saying, if you only invite those who are in your crowd and, and doing well and, and, and living large and, and are your closest friends, that, your reward is done at that point once they invite you back for their feast. He says, instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Reminds me of a, uh, this ministry in Sri Lanka that I used to go. I used to go to this, this large church, and they had a ministry <laughs> uh, entitled the Timotheans. And it was their, their ministry to raise up young leaders in the church. So they'd come at like age 17 to maybe, maybe 25, 28. And, and they lived to grow in their, in their wisdom and stature in Christ and knowledge of God. But, but more than anything on how to, how to be servant leaders in their community. And of course, it's a Buddhist nation. And Christianity is, is allowed, but, but it's frowned upon um, the biggest benefit Christianity has in Sri Lanka is that uh, the Buddhists hate the Muslims more. So they kind of leave the Christians alone for the most part. And they, they battle over there. But it's a broken society. And I love these, these Timotheans because their heartbeat is, what can we do? Where can we go? How can we love? How can we serve? How can we make the biggest impact on the, on the most inconsequential people? That's the heartbeat of the Timotheans. They're always looking for ways to bless and honor to show grace and genuinely love others. They took such amazing care of the widows. There's a lot of widows in Sri Lanka. And they treated them, I mean, on Sundays. They actually, we, it's like, if we were a church gathering here, it's a church about 10,000. And so there's about five services a Sunday. And every time they had a church service, they'd start off, they'd sing a couple songs, and they'd pause to bring all the widows in. And they'd march them in. And they had the front rows there, and the people went nuts. You'd have thought like the, the, the biggest soccer star or, or, or you know, they, I guess they play cricket. The biggest cricket star would be there. I mean, the way they cheer on, they can barely get them contained to go back into worship because they're bringing the, the widows in, and the Timotheans are jumping and marching, and, and, and the widows, it, it's interesting to see the ones that have been in it for a while and been ministered to for a while because those widow ladies are dancing down the aisles. Uh, the new ones are like, I don't know what to do here. Uh, and then you go back like a year later and they're dancing. It's like, hey, you began dancing. It's, it's amazing to see them honor them so much. They honor their church leaders every day, every single day of the week. They're doing something to honor and champion their church leaders. It's an amazing thing. But the one main focus they had as Timotheans, they, would, they loved to go to the prisons in Sri Lanka and find the hardest criminals and just lavish upon them gifts and love and grace and, and relationship. It, it was wild to see, to see hardened criminals serving life sentences for horrific things just to be loved on and honored simply because they were human beings 
and, and this group of servant leaders was like, we're going we're gonna to live out the book of 1 Timothy towards widows and leaders and the least of these. And it just changed the, the culture and the climate of the nation, especially the, the capital city there in Colombo. It was an amazing thing to watch. And it's, it's a great uh, challenge for us all. You know, we decided uh, that for today we're going we're gonna to take up our, our offering here at the, at the beginning of, of, our, of our worship. We still have a, a few songs we're going to worship, uh, but we're going to take up our offering here in a moment and, and not because we want to motivate you to give financially. Um, we want you to give according to what the Lord's called you to give, but, but really the motivation behind this is how can you live to give? What today can you pray about and go, I'm going to give that? This might not be the, the, the day that you normally give, or you might give online. Uh, so, so taking one of these offering envelopes might not be something you normally do during this time because you give in another way or in another day. But what can you live to give today? Maybe it's you just take this out. I'm going to ask everyone to take one of these out. They're in the seat backs in front of you. If you're on the front row, you've got to turn around and grab one from behind you. But um, take one of these out. And Lord, what, what should I give do I need to serve in children's ministry? Do I need to serve with youth? Do I need to, to come up here and, and, and help take care of the, the grounds and the, and the maintenance of the building? Do I, do I need to get involved with the local mission that the church is connected to? Do I need to just give of myself in relationship and, and say, I want to start coming to Women's Connect Bible Study or the Men's Bible Study on Thursdays? How... how can you step into a life of living to give simply because of the love shown to you by Jesus? And it might be financial today too. It might be, I want to give extra towards our benevolence or uh, I want to take care of some needs. We have needs all the time in our church. We have people that, that need houses fixed. They're living in, in places that, 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 that would probably be condemned. And we're trying to figure out a way to fix them and trying to figure out the best way to do it with, with the, the wisdom of, of the finances there, but maybe you want to give towards that. Maybe you're like, I want to start giving towards world missions. I mean, Haiti just had a horrific thing happen. So last month, their, their presidents assassinated. Yesterday, there was a 7.0 earthquake, and we don't know the in, information back, but you know, we have, we have five churches in a medical clinic over there, and we haven't heard back from them yet. They're supposed to get a hurricane hit on Monday. And so there might be bigger needs than are normal there. That's our biggest outreach worldwide. Uh, and we might see some bigger ones come up. But, but what does the Lord want you to give? Really what I'd like you to do today is ask the Holy Spirit, should I be giving more time? Should I be giving my talents and my skill sets to serve your kingdom? Should I be giving more financially or give financially? But, but that you live to give. Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and He will repay you. They might be poor in spirit. They might be poor financially. They might be poor in circumstance. They might be poor because they live in a nation that doesn't have the gospel. But if you help them, you're lending to the Lord and He will be the one to repay you, not humanity. Your rewards will be in heaven. The picture that, that we get here is that the God's people have always been ones that are supposed to take care of their own and then take care of any needs that God brings across their plate, so to speak. And if we're, if we're to live in a way that, that broadcasts the love of God in us to the world, when we see a need, we take care of the need. 
when we can give something away, we give it away. And when we can give of ourselves, we just give of ourselves. Maybe it's your ear and your heart. Maybe it's your physical abilities. Maybe it's the way you've been blessed financially. In John chapter 3, or 1 John chapter 3, we read that a follower of Jesus is self-sacrificing, that he's willing, that he looks for opportunities to be a part of, all because of the love of God in his and her life. So take an envelope today and pray with me. And man, maybe just take some time. The offer baskets can go around in just a minute. I'm going to pray, but maybe just write on there. I, I want to give more. I just don't know what. And you put your number and we'll call you. But, but give today because he's given everything to you that you need for life and godliness because he loves you. If Jesus can stick with you and can stick with me, we can, we can, we can put our lives out there and say, I'm gonna stick, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live to give, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick it out for people, uh, I'm gonna give away my life and my talents and my treasure, uh, and then I'm also just gonna love people where they are. So why don't you pray with me today? Lord, we come before you today and, and I just thank you for this passage that gives us some specific principles, but, but ultimately it gives us your heartbeat for how we live in relationship with one another and taking care of one another. Because of love, we can do anything you ask of us. So, so Lord, would you just speak to us today? Holy Spirit, as we come before you as sons and daughters and we say, what can I give? Would you just make it clear? Serve here. Be a part of this team here. Get involved with missions here. Give this amount of finances here. That we would just respond to you. That's our greatest act of worship today. We're going to sing three songs and worship you, but our greatest act of worship is responding to you today. And we trust you to take care of the needs in this church, the, the needs out there that this church takes care of, and even around the world as we find out more needs that are there. So would you bless this offering? Would you bless these lives that are offerings? before you and then would you help us to live with grace and compassion towards all of those in our lives never give up on anyone never tap out on anyone never demand something from anyone other than I just I just want to love you I just want to be there for you and I want to show grace in your name we pray amen Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit our media page on hcfburnett.org and follow us on social media. God bless and have a great week.